0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at SalemAlliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker, Throughout this series, we've looked at several things. We started off with a biblical overview of the fact that there is a biblical foundation for an enemy and what that enemy is like and how he attacks. And Steve talked with us about being people of the presence who let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. We talked about the fact that in this battle we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory because Jesus has already won the war. We just are still living on earth here in the midst of the battle. Steve and Brian did a couple weeks on the armor of God and boy, each piece of armor could be its own sermon. And then Steve talked for a couple weeks about the reality of demonization and oppression and how the enemy gets footholds in our life. And he he taught us the three Rs of remember and renounce and reclaim in living a foothold free life and claiming back territory that maybe the enemy has had some authority in our life that we've given him and that that God is winning back on our behalf. I want to pause in my recap of the series just to tell you my own personal experience with the three R's. Um, I've said here before that one of my long-term struggles is my struggle with screen media. So whether it's TV or the phone or the computer, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or a romantic comedy, I just have this compulsive relationship with media that sometimes it's going all right and other times I'm just like, oh, why do I still do this? Why do I make the decisions I I make? And it's an ongoing battle for me that has a lot of shame wrapped up in it as well. And so when Steve was preaching on the three R's, I asked God, I said, God, what do you want to expose? What do you want to show me? How do you want me to apply this message in my life? And that and, and God brought to mind this whole ongoing struggle with media. Okay, Lord, if this is where you want to go, let's do this. And um, the thing is, I've been the life path and applied the principles of life path and trusting God and I can't and God can and I'll let him to this problem and I've gone to a counselor and among other things I've talked with her about this and I've got friends who I talk with authentically and we talk with life and I and they hold me accountable and and still there's this struggle and yet when Steve was preaching I realized I've never really considered it in light of spiritual battle Like, is there something that has given the enemy a foothold where he actually has some authority and there's more going on than meets the eye here? And so as I prayed and asked God to remind me, to bring to mind if there was anything that would give the enemy a foothold in this area of my life, God actually brought to mind some times when as a child and as a youth, I engaged in media in a way that was hidden. There were things that I had been told I was not to watch and I chose to watch them, things like Love Boat and soap (laughs) operas. And I chose to watch them in hiding. And God was bringing to mind things that throughout my life, that piece of hiding has been a piece of my relationship with media. And he was convicting me on that thing about hiding. And so I added another R, an R that I've learned is important at times, and that's the R of repent. And so I repented, I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I have engaged with this and kept some things in the dark, and and I don't want to be in hiding. I I ask your forgiveness, and I commit to you that I wanna change my ways with this. And then I did what Steve said. He he, he led us in how to renounce the enemy and to just say in Jesus' name, where you've had a foothold, you have no right here. I renounce you. I recognize this. God has brought it to mind, and You may not use this as an entry point in my life and you may not use this as a reason to stay in my life. And then I reclaimed. I am a beloved daughter of God. I belong to him, he is the author of my life, I'm gonna choose to let the Holy Spirit guide me and I believe that the needs that I have in my heart, that God can meet those needs. Simple prayer, didn't take long, Uh, actually prayed all that as I walked one morning, uh, just kind of practicing what Steve had been teaching us. And what I'm finding is that there is a freedom rising up in me from this compulsion check back with me in six months. It's been a roller coaster for about 10 years. So I can't say conclusively that it's over, but I can say this. There is something that has been released in my feeling driven to follow through on the desires that I have. I think when we put into practice the things that we're learning, there is power and transformation at work. And so one of the things I wanna encourage you about this series is if you missed a week, which is really easy to do in the summer, go back and listen to it on podcast. Or if you're a visual person, the live stream have archives and you can go and have the whole, participate in the whole service again through live stream. Or on our webpage, under resources, you can see sermon notes and you can be reminded of what was up on the screen, what verses and what things people taught. Don't let this be a series that was just eight weeks of gathering information and then, okay, let's move on to the next thing. This series really is nothing unless we take action on the things that we're being taught. So be people who take action on what's being taught here. Uh, wrapping out the series, Rob taught us about um, standing on the authority that we've been given in Christ, and Laura last week talked about um, being, wielding that weapon of light, living confessionally and bringing what's in the dark into the light, inviting God to expose the lies of the enemy. So much rich and good stuff. So one other plug here. If there's something that God has caught your attention on in this series or any other thing that we preach on here or that you study in your Bible study or you talk about in your community group and you wanna go deeper in that, can I just encourage you to get out your Bible and to dig deep, to look into the passages that they were talking about and, and to read them for yourself and to pray and ask God to highlight things and to be your teacher and to teach you about this. I think most of you know that I didn't go to Bible school. I actually went to school to be an elementary school teacher. And so as I've grown into this role of, of, that I have here at Salem Alliance on the preaching team and as the pastor of Women's Ministries, I've really come to appreciate the tools that are out there for Bible study. So this morning, I want to offer you one tool that I found online, and it's called Bible Hub. Some of you may have seen it before. Bible Hub has a lot of tools that you can choose from. Here's one way you can use it. If you type in a scripture reference, something maybe that was catching your attention, and it'll bring up that scripture and then give you some options for what you do with it. One of the options on the top thing would be Strong's. Strong's is a concordance that will let you look into these verses word by word in what they are in the Greek or the Hebrew. So I was looking up Ephesians 6.17 and looking at the word word, because you might remember that when Steve taught, he talked to us about how there are in the Bible actually three different Greek words that are translated word. This one is rima, the voice of God. There's also the written word of God and there's the actual person of God. The John 1:1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So it helps us look into, okay, what is this word that we're looking at? It's translated into English, word and yet it has so many meanings. The other thing it gives is that uh, if you were able to scroll down you would see that it gives you the other verses where this word is used. I am all about cross-referencing. I call them my rabbit trails. I'll be looking up into something and then I'm just following the other, where else is this used? What else is God talking about when he uses this word? Because it helps give a fuller understanding of what it is that we're reading. So I know some of you are going, that's fine, Jennifer, no need. And others of you are going, I can't wait to get home and look into it. So just be students of God's word, not just coming once a week to hear other people, but digging in for yourself when God is highlighting something in your life. So let's be applying what we're learning, let's be digging deeper. And as we finish this series on spiritual battle, there's, a, there's an experience that I had that is a picture in my mind that I think is helpful for us. So about a year and a half ago, I had ankle surgery and I had some ligaments repaired in my right ankle and I knew going into it that I was gonna need to spend two weeks with my ankle above my heart right out of surgery, just keep my ankle above my heart. And then after that two weeks, I'd be able to start on crutches and then getting a boot and putting more weight on it. And by the end of three months, I'm supposed to be good to go. So I knew that physically, I was really gonna be down to ground zero and have to rebuild everything from that point. What I didn't realize was at the end of two weeks when they said, okay, get off the couch, I wouldn't really wanna get off the couch. I kinda, I kinda liked the couch. It was, it was kinda comfortable. Ironically, there was a lot of time for Netflix. People brought me food. I mean, it was, the couch was kinda nice and yet it's time to reengage with life and do the things that are mine to do and, and I just found that even as the weeks turned into months and I was back here at work and I was just singularly unmotivated, I just, ugh emotionally and spiritually, it was like my whole being had been on that couch and I just couldn't get off the couch. Have you ever had seasons like that where it's just hard to get going and kind of trudging through? And so about spring break time, I was talking with my spiritual mentor and I said, you know, I don't know how to lead myself at this point I don't know what attitude I'm supposed to have am I supposed to give myself grace and be like oh Jennifer you need rest your body's been through a lot it's okay or am I supposed to like be a little tough on myself and say um dude get your rear end off the couch and get in gear come on there's there's life to be lived here and I don't know how I'm supposed to what what posture should I be taking here and she said I think it's probably a little bit of both She reminded me of the Israelites who, when they would go to battle, they had to strap on their swords and go to battle, but every single time it was God who won the war. Over and over again, if you think of the battle that Gideon, God found Gideon when Gideon was in hiding and he was insecure, and Gideon gave God several tests to even prove that it was God, and finally he said okay, and he obeyed and he gathered an army, but when it came time for the battle, The army Gideon had gathered, blew their trumpets, and then God turned the enemy against each other, and God won the battle. There was the battle when when the Israelites were winning, but it was getting dark, and so God turned the sun back a few hours so they could finish the battle. Over and over and over again, the Israelites step up in obedience. They choose to follow God. They act as he's calling them to act, but the outcome depends on him. He is the one who wins the battle. When it was time to cross into the promised land, the priests had to put their feet in the Jordan River But when they obeyed and stepped in, then God stopped the river. And this is what spiritual battle is like for you and I. There are times when God calls us up to action, to obedience, to fight the good fight, and yet we do that with humility, knowing that the outcome has nothing to do with us. This is not a works-based religion. The outcome has everything to do with who God is, and the victory depends completely on him. So it's this interesting tension of living into there is a battle that we are in, there is an invisible war, and there are things things that we do to fight this war and yet none of it depends on us and the victory is actually already secure and guaranteed in Christ for eternity and yet along the way there are choices that you and I make that make a difference in the battle just like Jeff was talking about we choose every day we have a choice in this as we talk about what it looks like to choose God, I wanna go back to the very beginning. I often like going back to the very beginning. There's so much in the beginning to help us understand what's going on in our life today. I look at Genesis chapter one and it's, it's the story of creation, most of you know it. There's six days where God is creating. Night and day and land and sea and animals and plants and at the end of every day of creation, what does he say? It was good for six days Everything he created, and it was good. God put his stamp of approval on everything that was created. But read with me here in Genesis chapter 2, 15, or listen as I read. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die Friends, for six days, everything that was created, God declared good. Do you know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created during those six days? At the end of the day, when the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created, God declared it was good. How is that possible that there's a tree in the garden that if we eat of it, we will die, and yet that tree was part of the good creation of God? Our God chose to put a bad choice in the garden. There was an option in the garden that was bad for you and I, and God put it there on purpose. Why? Why did God put a bad choice in the garden? Friends, I don't know the answer. I'm not going to try to explain the answer. Here's the one piece that, that, that I think about when I think about this question. If you and I did not have choice, we could not have true relationship with God. He created us purposefully, male and female, with free will, because if we can't not choose God, then we can't actually authentically choose God. And God's heart for us is a loving relationship with Him, and it is not a love relationship with Him if it is obligation, if it is slavery, if it is the only option. And God in his infinite wisdom that is beyond what you or I could understand put a choice in the garden so that you and I would have an opportunity and an invitation to choose him and we would actually have an opportunity to not choose him. And in those contrasts lies the battle that you and I live in. And the thing is, God refused to make that choice for us. It makes me believe that choice is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons we wield because God wouldn't make it for us. He specifically set it up so that we would have it. And when we choose him, amazing things happen. When we choose him at salvation, our lives are forever changed. When we recognize that we have sin in our life, that without God we are lost, and we turn to him in our need for a savior, and we recognize that Romans 6.23 is correct. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That choice that we make, that is the ultimate victory. That choice is the place that no matter what happens on this earth, the enemy cannot take away our forever and eternity with a perfect and loving relationship with God. It's the most important choice we will ever make. And yet if we stop there, just like Jeff was talking about, if we were to choose our spouse on the day of our wedding and then never connect with them again, it'd be kind of like me getting married and saying, okay, I'm good, I won't be an old maid. You know, I'll have a headstone that'll say two of us so everybody for the rest of eternity will be able to see that I wasn't an old maid. That's got, okay, I'm good. That's not the point of marriage, right? That's not the point of relationship. And choosing God for salvation Sets us on a journey that is the most amazing journey in the world, and yet we need to be people who choose Him daily, day after day after day. But how do we do that? It, it can sound so simple choose God. Okay, go, we're done. Everybody just go choose God every day. But what does that look like? What, where's the rubber meets the road? What's the practicality of that in our daily life, in the reality of the attacks? that come on us. And so, I want us to look together at the story of Jesus facing the temptation of the devil in the desert and look at how he chose God over and over again. So if you wanna follow along, I'm gonna read from Luke chapter four. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 1619. We're gonna look at how Jesus faced this interaction with the devil. I wanna remind us that that the spiritual battle can come in so many forms. Sometimes the, the battle rises up within us. Uh, temptation, a desire that becomes a compulsion that becomes an addiction. Sometimes what rises up in us is, is self-condemnation or doubt or emotional pain. Sometimes the battle is coming up from within, but sometimes the battle is coming from without. That temptation that we hadn't even been thinking about, but oh my goodness, there it is, and we're like, yes, No, yes, it's like when somebody puts donuts in the adult wing and I have to walk by it like every time I, and I'm like, ugh. It's that external temptation or that external attack, that person with a critical spirit who's just always tearing you down, that situation where you have no control. Maybe it's a work situation and you just have to do the best you can. Sometimes the battle is very subtle and we, we hardly even see that it's happening and sometimes it's not subtle at all. It's very, very obvious. Whatever shape the battle takes, we can learn about how to choose God in the midst of it as we look at how Jesus chose God in the face of this time when he was led out to the desert and was in a very vulnerable and weak state. So we start in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. Let's just pause there for a second. He's just been baptized. He's had this experience where the Holy Spirit has come down like a dove and a voice from heaven has said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He knows who he is. He knows where he is going. He knows that God is pleased with him and he is full of the Holy Spirit. And from that place, he is led into the wilderness. Friends, being on the right path with God and knowing that we're in the center of his will and and thriving in the life that he's giving us and being full of the Holy Spirit does not mean we won't face battle. It doesn't mean we won't struggle or have times when we feel vulnerable or weak or even pain. What it means is he's present. He is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Being full of the Holy Spirit is not a guarantee that life is good. It actually probably means the battle will intensify. So he was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days and he became very hungry. I feel like this is one of the maybe top 10 understatements in the Bible. Um, He didn't eat for 40 days and he became very hungry. He's vulnerable, he's weak. In my human state, I'd be very tired. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, questioning who he is tell this stone to become a loaf of bread and what strikes me about Jesus answer is he didn't say I can't oh I can't turn a stone into a loaf that was not the argument Friends, our argument with the devil is not about whether or not we can or can't accomplish what he's saying. We need to be careful not to get in the wrong argument. Jesus did not engage on the level of whether or not turning a loaf of bread, a stone into a loaf of bread was possible. He engaged on the level of, I see your heart, I see what you're getting at, and I will not go there. He says, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. People do not live by bread alone. Friends, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. He is hungry, and yet at this moment, what he says is, people do not live by bread alone. And if you know the scripture, you know that it goes on to say, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was choosing to trust God in the face of very real physical need. Friends, you and I have very real physical need, and do we trust God the way that Jesus did? Chronic illness, injury, long-term relational struggling, unemployment, our own personal failure in sin, these places where we have a true physical need, we need a change, we need a difference, we need, and yet God is calling us to say, will we trust him? Will we trust his plan? Will we trust where he is leading us? Jesus chose to trust the Father rather than to recognize and to engage in all I want is bread. Sometimes we get so single focused on what our need is that we fail to remember and to realize that God is trustworthy no matter where he is leading us in the midst of the unknown when it doesn't make sense. On Palm Sunday, the week before Jesus was crucified, he was... um, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with a crowd of people waving Hosanna and the crowd wanted to make him king and scripture tells us that he did not trust himself to the people who wanted to make him king because he knew what was in their heart at a different point in scripture it tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly who is the father Jesus entrusted himself to the father and do you know where the father led him the father led him to the cross The father led him to crucifixion. That didn't make any logical earthly sense. None at all. If you want to have victory, then you should have a king. Here's the people wanting to make a king and they want to overthrow the Romans. This is the logical path to the victory that we are looking for. Have a king who can have earthly authority. And yet Jesus entrusted himself to God who led him to the cross through the valley of the shadow of death through ultimate pain because that was the path to the victory that we seek. It didn't make sense. Nobody could have known. It was unseen. We trust God in the unseen rather than the seen. Are we people who will choose God when the unknown and the difficult and the very real physical needs in the vulnerable and weak places of our life rise up when we can't see where he is going? Will we choose trust in the same way that Jesus did? We continue on. Starting in verse five, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And again, I am dumbfounded by the argument that Jesus refused to get in. (laughs) He did not argue with the devil about whether or not the kingdoms and authority were the devil's. He didn't say, oh, actually all of that belongs to my father and it belongs to me. No, do you know why? Because at the time of this conversation, Jesus had not purchased back his authority and his kingdom. Because see, you and I gave it away. Yeah, it was Adam and Eve, but it was you and I. In the garden, when they were given a choice, they did not trust. They chose to doubt God and to doubt his heart and maybe he was holding out on them and they believed the lie and they were deceived and they gave away the authority that had been given to mankind. God had said, be fruitful and multiply, rule the earth and subdue it. And we gave that authority away by choosing not to trust in the garden. And we have the redemption of being able to choose differently now. But at the time of this conversation, it was true that all those kingdoms and all that authority belonged to the devil. Jesus did not argue that with him. Friends, let's not get in the wrong argument. We do not win this battle by arguing with the devil. We win the battle by doing what Jesus did. And he says this, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We choose God when we choose to worship when we choose to worship in the dark, when we choose to worship in the face of a world that looks like it is careening out of control, when it looks like the enemy has won and all kingdoms and authority are his, we choose to worship, will we fix our eyes on God and say, I don't know how this ends, but I know who ends it, and I want to be with you. You alone are high, you alone are holy, you alone are righteous, you alone are good, and I will worship you alone. I will not put my faith, I will not put my trust in any earthly strength. I will worship you. Even if it looks like someone else's control, I will not align myself with any authority that is not in submission to Jesus Christ. I will worship God. How do we worship in the darkness? How do we worship when we can't see how things are gonna end? We worship by being people of thanksgiving remembering, rehearsing what God has already done and with grateful hearts speaking that thanksgiving to him. We worship by committing ourselves to him like the psalmist who told his soul what to do. Rejoice, O my soul. Don't be downcast, oh my soul. So many times the psalmist is talking to his soul and saying this is, we are committed to God. We are aligning ourselves with the Father. We are worshiping him by giving him our lives. And we worship him with our praise. When we declare who he is, when we speak the truth that we know from scripture about the names of God and the character of God, that he is our provider, that he loves us, that he is our redeemer and our rescuer and our strong tower and our refuge, when we speak these truths, whether it's in song or in our thoughts or in a journal or in a prayer, the darkness must flee and the light goes forward. Friends, sometimes we just leave worship on in our house. Uh, Worship is a powerful, powerful tool in this spiritual battle, and so, like Jesus, we choose to worship. Steve Fowler was sharing with me that when he travels uh, to our international partners and who live in really hard and dark places of the world, he will often encourage them: leave worship music playing on in your house, even when you're not home, 24/7. Just leave the worship playing. Proclaim this to be the space that God resides in, and claim it for the Holy Spirit. So we go on in verse nine and it says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Do you see what he did there? Again, he attacked right at the core of who Jesus is if you are the son of God, baiting him, challenging him to prove it. And then he brings in scripture. And he quotes the word of God to tempt Jesus to sin against God. Have you ever had conversations or, or seen something in writing where the word of God was taken out of context? Where a verse was grabbed and it was used as an attack and, and something rose up in you and, and there was just this discernment that said, that doesn't line up. Yes, it's scripture, but it's not being used accurately. Accurately. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not put the Lord your God to a test. Friends, we choose God when we know him and we know his word well enough to recognize what reflects him and what is not a true reflection of him. We live in a world where things are said and things are done in the name of God and in the name of Jesus that are not in line with Jesus and are not in line with the character of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And we must be a people who know God well enough to recognize, to have that red flag rise in our spirit when we realize, no, that is being said in the name of God, but it is not in line with who God is. Friends, this is why I said what I said earlier about Bible Hub. We need to be a people who are Genesis to Revelation, students of God's word, not just picking and choosing a verse here and a verse there to prove our point, but knowing what is the nature of God, what is the character of God as revealed in these words, and what do we see consistently throughout Scripture? We need to know what else scripture says when somebody says, this is what it's like with God. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is who a Christian is. This is what the Bible means. We need to know, are we listening to truth or are we being deceived by the enemy? And and how do we answer that? Are we prepared to give an answer when our world is bringing us confusion and lies and deception? We need to know his word. We need to know his voice through the Holy Spirit. And we need to know him we choose God when we trust in the face of difficulty and the unknown we choose God when we worship even in the dark and we choose God when we know him and we know his word enough to be part of the battle from a place that recognizes truth another way that we choose God is when we pray Friends, Jesus demonstrated throughout the Gospels getting away to pray, hearing what God wanted him to do that day, praying for others, praying for healing. He was a man of prayer, and we are called to be people of prayer as well, that when we face, when we bump into the battle, whether we recognize it as spiritual battle or not, when we bump into hardship or confusion or whatever happens in our day-to-day world, exhaustion, uh, we need wisdom, we're invited to pray. See what it says in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This peace that guards us, that's a piece of the guard against the spiritual battle, the invisible war that we're in the midst of, comes when we release our anxiety to him. Whatever is rising, whatever is stressing us, whatever we're concerned about, whatever we are bringing to him, we bring it and we release it to him and then we trust that he is God. See, God will never choose for us But when we choose him, he is the sure victory. He will always answer. He will never fail and he will never leave us. He will not choose for us and impose his will on us when we don't want his will. But when we surrender to his will, when we surrender to him, he will always answer. Prayer is one of the key ways that we choose God and fight this battle that we are in. I love at the end of John Jesus is praying for us. Look at this verse, one of the things that Jesus prayed for believers. He's talking to the Father and he says, "I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one." Friends, the answer to this battle is not escape. The answer to this battle is that God is the one that protects us from the evil one. You know, I pray this prayer over my kids. God, my prayer is not that you'll take them out of this world, but that you will keep them safe from the evil one. The other night, Friday night, I, was, um, I was, had tucked my daughter into bed, Abigail, she's 10, and she had gotten out of bed because she was afraid. And uh, as she and I were talking, just the night before we'd been shining a flashlight under the bed and getting her tucked back in. And So this night I thought it was kind of similar, but Abigail actually expressed a fear to me that she hadn't expressed before. I'm not gonna tell you the specific fear because they're little ears and we don't need to plant ideas, but there was a fear that she had not expressed to me before. And the thing that caught me about this particular nighttime fear was that it was the same nighttime fear that I had when I was a child. Laying in bed, covering my head with my covers, And and what it brought up in me when she brought that up, here it is the night before I'm supposed to preach on spiritual battle, and it brought up all the things that I felt as a child because I'd been raised in the church and I was taught that if you're afraid, you could pray and Jesus would help you. And if you trust him, then you won't be afraid. But I hadn't found that to play out. I had found that I prayed and I was still afraid. And so what hit me was, well, I must not be praying the right thing or I must not be a good enough Christian. And so there was shame with this memory of this being afraid. And, and, and I just thought, I'm preaching tomorrow. This was Friday night and I had the Saturday night services and, and I don't even know how this works. Like it just kind of threw in my face this, this way that I don't know how to, how to live in this battle. And, And so I I, I prayed with Abigail and we we prayed the Holy Spirit over her room and his light over her room and we left some worship music playing and and I tucked her back in and and she got back to sleep, but I went out to the living room and I had some words with Jesus. (laughs) God, what is this? And, And I was reminded of how this story in Luke actually ends. Luke chapter four, verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Friends, our enemy does not give up easily. He's always watching for opportunity. And a repetition of the same fear or the same sin or the same conflict doesn't mean that you and I are failing. It doesn't mean that God is failing us. It means that we have an enemy who doesn't give up. And we don't give up either. When we find that we are facing that fear, we are facing that confusion, we are facing the battle, even if it is our own failure the 15 billionth time, we still can choose God. We still can choose to align ourselves with him, to look at him and say, I will trust you even in my own failing, even in the brokenness of the world, even in the sin of others against me. I will choose to trust you. I will choose to worship you. I will choose to know you and to pray and I will then leave it in your hands. I leave even my own eternity in your hands because you are God and you are faithful and you win this war. As I was thinking of how to wrap up the series, I wanted to leave us with an encouraging word. I wanted to leave us with the the words of power that would remind us who God is and how he's battling on our behalf. And so I thought, okay, where's that verse that says that Jesus is at God's right hand interceding for us? So I looked it up and, and there it was. It was in Romans chapter eight. I thought, okay, I want the one about where the Holy Spirit is interceding for us too. Where's that one? Oh, that's in Romans chapter eight too, huh? So where's that one about we are more than conquerors in Christ? Romans chapter eight, beginning to sense the theme. And as I read through, I went, this is what I want us to hear. This is what I want us to stand on as we wrap up this series. So would you stand with me as we read a chunk here of Romans chapter eight? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading, for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love.